So allow me to introduce myself. My name is Robert, and I come all the way from the great state of Oklahoma. Thank you. Okay, thank you for those that are cla- like when I was over at the other campus. Like I just got this blank stare, um, which is okay because normally, like depending upon the state that I'm speaking in, sometimes I get booed. So when I'm in Texas and I say I'm from Oklahoma, they're not so nice. Um, my experience, you know, at the other campus from Tennessee this morning, they're just kind of like whatever. But for those of you that clapped for me, thank you. We're we're already we're good friends. Um, So I've said I live in Oklahoma. Uh, I'll share with you a picture of my family because they're really important to me. And I want to, I would just want to give you like one of those awe moments. Look at my family. Thank you. (laughs) Have four beautiful children. Yeah. Some of you are clapping for my kids. Thank you. Um, I clap as well, but what I don't clap for is that, uh, having four children, I don't sleep very often. And so, um, you can be praying for my family in that regard. Um, Man, it's a privilege to get to be here and to get to share with you guys. I, I got to be the speaker uh, last uh, last year at Access Weekend and back again this year. And can I just tell you, you have got an incredible group of young people here at this church. Like seriously. <clears throat> Out of all of the things that they could be doing and all the stuff that they could be participating in, uh, they, they have come and they have given up their time, their energy, their effort, their, their money to be a part of a weekend that is centered around growing in their relationship with God. And I, I, I believe that's commendable because if you're anything like me, when we turn on the news today, we don't hear a lot of good things about teenagers and yet I wish that they would, they would pay attention to some of the stuff that I see on a regular basis like this. That you've got young men and women that are praying for one another and praying with each other and desiring to spend time in their word. And, and, and I am hopeful uh, in what I see in this generation. And I am thankful for you as a church that you would invest in, in these young people. Um, and that God has blessed you collectively with incredible youth pastors, with Eric and Brian and, and great leaders that, that are, are pouring into your students. So one last time, let's give them a round of applause. <clears throat> so we're continuing in uh, your series here that you guys have started as a, as a church when we talk about life's healing choices. And, and the beatitude this morning is found in Matthew chapter 5, verse 9. And Matthew chapter 5, verse 9 says, Blessed are the peacemakers... For they shall be called the sons of God. Blessed are the peacemakers. Something that's interesting about this verse is it doesn't say uh, just the peacekeepers, but the peacemakers. Have you ever been around somebody in life that just has a peaceful disposition about them? Have you ever been around somebody that even regardless of the situation, if, if things are good or if things are bad, have you ever been around the type of person that you can just tell has a certain peace with them? Have you been around that type of person? Those are the types of people we like to hang out with, right, by the way? Like versus the other people that, that have lots of drama, you know, they're on the drama team and a, a whole different type of drama team that just things are always just, um, uh, just not good and there's always something to complain about. Isn't there something that's settling about somebody who has made peace with God in their life? And I love what this passage says. It says the peacemakers and not just the peacekeepers because a peacekeeper would be the type of person that is always trying to bring calm into a situation. 
Maybe it's something that you grew up uh, growing accustomed to do, just keeping the peace, making sure that everybody was happy. But a peacemaker is the type of person that has received the grace of Jesus Christ and is at peace with themselves enough that they can bring peace to others. They just don't keep the peace, but they make the peace. And in the book that you guys have gone through, it says this. It says, not just a peacekeeper, but a peacemaker. You make peace. You bring peace to other people's lives. But you can't do that until there is peace in your life. Until the peace of God is in you, right? I can't give to others what I don't have for myself. If you've walked into this place this morning and you haven't experienced the peace of God, it would be difficult for you to be able to pass peace along to others. Whenever I spoke with your students this weekend, our theme was inked. And we talked about how to live the type of life that makes an impact, How to live the type of life that makes a difference. And when I was speaking to them last night, I was talking to them about leaving their mark on life. Being a generation that's marked by Christ and because they are marked by Christ, they're marking the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I believe in that message that I preached to your students, but... Something started to cross my mind as I was putting this together. I believe that Jesus has called us to leave a mark here on earth. But my question is, how do we respond whenever life marks us? Have you ever been there? Have you ever been fully engaged in what you feel like God is asking you to be engaged in just to feel like life has punched you in the face? Have you ever been there? Have you met resistance before where you're trying to make peace with God and make peace with others and leave an impact and then all of a sudden you just feel like life has left its mark on you? Because maybe you've lost a job. Maybe you've lost a loved one. Maybe your marriage goes through a rough spot or maybe it ends altogether. Or possibly you're obedient to what God has asked you to do only to find out that that doesn't produce good things in your life. Anybody in here ever feel like life has left its mark on you? Anybody in here ever felt like life has punched you in the face? The question I want to wrestle with this morning is how do we deal with that? Because I I can't bring peace into other people's lives if I haven't received the peace of God myself. And, And your point this morning is the sharing choice. The sharing choice. And one of the ways that I know that I've made peace with God and that I've made peace with myself with the situations that I've gone through is whenever I'm willing and able to take a hurt And allow God to turn it into something that helps somebody else. Where I realize that that hurt wasn't wasted, but I'm willing to share that hurt, to dig into that hurt and realize that it has benefits in my life. And the greatest benefit that it could have is for me to allow to share my pain with other people and how God has healed me to help them. It's it's the sharing choice. And there's one particular individual that comes to mind in Scripture when I think of somebody that did this. I think of the story of Joseph. When I think of somebody that was marked by life, I think of Joseph. I think of somebody that went through the ups and downs, the highs and lows, and his story is one that sticks with me. And I want to pass along a phrase for you this morning that has really been um, instrumental in my life. Simple phrase, and you're going to hear it several times this morning, but the phrase is this. It's bloom where you've been planted. Bloom where you've been planted. 
How can I share the peace of God with others in my life, regardless of my situation, regardless of if it's difficult? I've got to be willing to bloom where I've been planted. And this is tough. Because if you're anything like me, I have a tendency to have a restless spirit. Anybody like that? I have a tendency to look at my life situation and say, all right, God, hurry it up, right? If there's something good that's going to come out of this, then can we get there right now? Can anybody relate to that? I love when people talk about God's will and his plan, and I'm like, that's great, but God, I want you to show it to me right now. Can anybody relate to that? Right. I, I, I often want to get ahead of God and say, God, um, that's fine. But where I'm at right now is not where I want to be. So if you have somewhere else that you're bringing me, can we just go ahead and get there? And oftentimes we miss out on blooming where we've been planted. I think about this for teenagers because I, I shared with them this weekend that right now at the age and stage of life that they're in, they're never going to get to go back and redo it. Right. They're never going to get to sit next to the same person that they sit next to um, in science or in math. They're only going to get this one chance at this particular spot in life to make an impact. But the truth is the same for you and I, right? The job that you're at right now, the, the stage that your kids are at in life, the friends that you have in your inner circle, it would be easy for us to say, I want to be doing somewhere else, something else or be somewhere else and miss out on what God has for you right here and right now. I want to encourage you to bloom where you've been planted. And we're going to see an example of that uh, from Joseph in Scripture. So if you've got your Bibles, you can open them up to Genesis. And we're going to see this story here. I'll put it up on the screen. But Genesis chapter 37 is where we'll start. And here's, here's what we get. Genesis chapter 37, verses 3 through 4. It says, now Israel, that's Jacob, loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age. And he made an ornate robe for him. Now I want to stop for a second. Anybody in here have siblings? Show of hands. Who in here... Is your parents' favorite? Okay. All right. Put your hands up. Get some sibling. Even adults are participating in this. You're like, yeah, it's true. I'm their favorite. Now, I just, I want to settle this for you biblically. I don't mean to start a fight, but I just, I want to throw this out here. Really, according to scripture, there's only one way that you can know if you are your mom and dad's favorite child. And the question is, have they made you an ornate robe? Have they made you a coat of many colors? Because if they haven't, I hate to break it to you this morning. You're not their favorite. I'm sorry. This is just what the Bible says. All right. It's here. So Joseph is his dad's favorite. Dad makes him a coat of many colors, uh, an ornate robe. And when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and they could not speak a kind word to them, to him. And to add to that, Joseph has a dream. You remember this, right? And in his dream, his brothers bow down to him and his parents bow down to him. And as any good teenager would do, what does he do with this dream? He keeps it to himself, right? He's quiet about it. No, he makes a grand announcement to the family that you're going to bow down to me, right? Like that's, that's what he does with this information. So his brothers are not very impressed with him. They don't like him. 
And in verse 19, he goes to bring them some, some food and some refreshment when they're um, in the field. And they say, here comes that dreamer. And they say to each other, come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of the cisterines and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. And then we will see what comes of his dreams. Man, talk about a sibling rivalry. Anybody in here have a sibling rivalry? This is next level, all right? They say, come and let's do what? Let's kill him. And say a ferocious animal devoured him. Now, I am the type of person that likes to use illustrations. And so I I was thinking to myself, how could I illustrate this? And so I Googled um, the coat of many colors. And I thought I would give you this image. This is what I came up with. Somehow I feel that this isn't entirely biblically accurate. And so, needless to say, I will no longer source Google for my images. Verse 26 Judah, I love Judah in this story, by the way. He says to his brothers, what will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Like, what, what do we have to gain from that? So he presents um, an alternative plan. And he says, come, let's sell him into slavery. Let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. After all, what does he say? He is our brother, Right. Let's not kill him. Let's do him a solid and let's just throw him into a pit and sell him into slavery. After all, he's our brother. He's our flesh and blood. Everybody agreed and says that's a great plan. You see what happens here in Joseph's life? He was going in a certain direction. He had a plan. He had things figured out. God had spoke to him in a dream. His dad loved him. His life was on a certain trajectory. And all of a sudden, life punches him in the face. And he finds himself in a pit being sold into slavery. And the first thing that we're going to see from Joseph this morning is that he blooms where he's been planted no matter the circumstance. No matter the circumstance, if anybody has the right to be bitter and angry and upset, it's Joseph. And yet Joseph begins to to be obedient to God. And in the midst of his situation, the favor of the Lord is on him. In Genesis chapter 39, verse 2, it says that the Lord was with Joseph, so he prospered. And he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. And when his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did. Verse four, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. And Potiphar put him in charge of his household and he entrusted to his care everything that he owned. So we see that Joseph has bloomed where he's been planted no matter the circumstance. And all of a sudden, God is showing Joseph favor in the midst of a not very good situation. I don't know about you guys. I marvel at the resolve of Joseph because sometimes I have a tendency to get upset with God when things don't go the way that I want them to go. Can anybody relate? Whenever I have a plan, I love for the plan to be stuck with and let's go this direction. And yet Joseph in the midst of a very bad situation is still faithful to God and he blooms where he's been planted no matter the circumstance and God's favor is upon him. And now we see this burden that Joseph has. Genesis 39 verse 6 tells us of a burden that Joseph has. Let's see if we've got it. 
It says this. It says, now Joseph was well built and handsome. Do any of my men have to carry this burden around in here? Can anybody relate to that? Yeah. If your hand's up, probably not. All right. <laughs> the struggle is real for this guy, right? He's a, he's a good looking dude. He's well built. He's handsome. Some of you guys, you can feel his pain. All right. Just what a burden. So I could go off on a side tangent, but does that aggravate anybody else that you just look at certain people in life and you're like, really, God? Like think Justin Timberlake or something, he can sing, he can dance, he can act, he can do everything. Like, could you just throw me like a little bit of that, right? It's got everything. Joseph's well-built, he's handsome, he's got it going on. Potiphar's wife looks at him, she finds him attractive, and she propositions him. And this is what she says. This is after a while, the master's wife took notice of Joseph and she says, come to bed with me. Now, I want to tell you in this situation, it would have been easy for Joseph to go ahead and to to partake in what she was offering. She comes to him and she says, hey, um, I'm my master's wife. Nobody's going to know about this. Just go for it. And I think about the advice that Joseph would have been given in our world today. If he were in the locker room or if he were at the water cooler at work or if he were hanging out with his friends, can you imagine what they would say to him? Secular advice would say, Joseph, go for it, man. Are you kidding me? You've got an opportunity to sleep with an attractive, powerful woman. Just go for it. Nobody's going to find out. Nobody's going to know. Nobody's going to say anything about it. Just go for it. And yet, is that what Joseph does? No. He makes a strong moral choice and he runs the other direction. Potiphar's wife is upset by the choice that he makes. And so she frames him and she says that he tried to sleep with her. And all of the sudden, Joseph made the right choice. He did the right thing. And he finds himself where? In prison. Where we see that he blooms where he's been planted, even if it's difficult. And I want to talk about this for a second because Joseph made a choice that in the moment, I'm sure he must have thought to himself, did I do the right thing? Because God, I I made the right choice and now I feel like I'm being punished for it. I just want to speak to this for a second because as we follow Christ, I want to make you a promise. There are going to be moments where the right choice is going to be the most difficult choice. Where the right choice is going to be the most difficult choice. Uh, Students, whenever you're deciding not to be like everybody else, not to party with everybody that's partying, not, not to partake in the things that everybody else is partaking in, there are going to be moments where you're going to look at those choices and go, am I really doing the right thing? Adults, this is true in our life too. You get into your workplace and when you start to live a life with integrity, you see other people that might look at you and go, why are you doing it that way? There's an easier route. Men, whenever you choose to love your home and to serve your spouse and to love your children and to be faithful to who God has given you and to not indulge in pornography and not run around and to live a life that honors God, that's a difficult choice. Because there's so many opportunities that are there for you women whenever you choose to serve your home and to love your husband and to pour into your family and people look at you and go, that, that's not the right choice. But you know deep down in your heart that's who God has called you to be and what he's asked you to do. And it's not easy. That's where the rubber really meets the road. 
Maybe you've walked in here this morning and you say, man, if it's difficult, I hear you. But I believe that God has blessings for those that are obedient to him. And Joseph makes the difficult choice and he bloomed where he'd been planted, even when it was hard. And now this choice gets him in prison. And as Joseph's in prison, he strikes up a friendship with a couple of guys like you do in prison, I guess. Takes some friends on and Joseph is still faithful to God while he's in prison. And all of a sudden the Lord bestows his favor upon Joseph. And Joseph is now um, overseeing the things that are happening in the prison. Because he's bloomed where he's been planted even when he's difficult. And he's not getting bitter and angry and upset. He's honoring God even in the midst of a bad situation. And he strikes up this friendship with these two guys. And if you remember, um, these two guys work for the Pharaoh. They get out of prison and Joseph says to them, remember me. Like whenever you get out, plead my case, bring it up to the Pharaoh so that I can get out of here. And do they remember him? Not immediately. Until the Pharaoh has a dream and he needs the dream to be interpreted. And then Joseph's buddies from prison. I I love this story. I love God's word because it comes to life. You can't make this up. But the Pharaoh has a dream, and I just imagine what it looks like when these two guys come before the Pharaoh and say, hey, I know a dude, like, I met this guy in prison, uh, and he interprets dreams, like, seriously? And he gives tattoos as well, all right? Yeah, so call Joseph in, and he can interpret your dream. The Pharaoh shares his dream with him. Joseph says there's going to be seven years where there's going to be lots of food. Store up the food, make sure you've got it ready, because after that, there's going to be seven years where there's not a lot of food, and there's going to be famine. And we're going to need that seven years of supply to get us through the difficult time. The Pharaoh then allows Joseph to come out of prison, and he places him second in command. Crazy. So now Joseph's life has come full circle, it would seem, and he's in a position where now things are not as rough as they once were, and God has been faithful to him. But I want to tell you this, scripture doesn't do time justice, right? You and I flip the page and we go, oh, 14 years have passed or however many years have passed. And whenever we read it from the Bible, it's no big deal. But whenever it's your life, it can seem like eternity, right? Have you ever been in a difficult situation? Six months can seem like a long time. I think the span of the time from when Joseph had this dream to now where he's at, so much time has passed. And yet he's bloomed where he's been planted even when it was difficult and even when he couldn't see the outcome. I think about this. I think of a particular time in my life where I was obedient to God and I could not see the outcome. I was 22 years old. I had just taken on uh, my first full-time staff position as a youth pastor. I was on staff at this church and there was a young man uh, that had been a part of one of my youth groups in another town that I lived in. He'd gotten all messed up with gang activity and drugs and violence and was really just not in a good position. Uh, He got put into a rehab facility and his mom called me and she said, hey, um, would you be willing to let him to come and live with you for his last uh, semester of high school? Because there are people that are trying to kill him. He's in a bad situation and we just need to get him graduated. So my wife and I prayed about it. 
We said, Lord, we feel like this is what you want us to do. And we allowed this young man to move into our house so that he could graduate from high school. And and whenever we moved him in, I thought to myself, like, this is going to be like an ABC family movie almost, right? Like, I mean, this is going to be great. Like, we're going to move him into the house. He's going to love us. We're going to love him. Um, He's, you know, we might even legally adopt him, and he might change his last name from Gonzalez to Smith. Like, it's just going to be great, right? I mean, this is going to be awesome. We get about two or three weeks into it, and I realize very quickly that this is not an ABC family movie. Um, This was not good at all. He made lots of poor choices and decisions that negatively affected me and my family and our ministry. Um, and, and we get through this semester of high school. He graduates, moves back in with his family. And I'm thinking to myself, God, oh, oh, I can't see the outcome here. I, I believe that I bloomed where I've been planted even when I can't see the outcome. But there's really not anything good that can come from this. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been perplexed because you're doing what you feel like God wants you to do and yet you're like, God, I I don't understand. So fast forward 14 or 15 years. Just a couple of months ago, he calls me up on the phone. Now he's in his early uh, to mid 30s. He has three kids of his own. Um, He's turned his life around. He's faithfully following God. Um, He's a Christian hip-hop artist that's getting a lot of attention. And and he was coming to my town to do a concert. And he called me and he said, hey, um, I want to take you to lunch while I'm in town. We really hadn't had a lot of contact. I mean, we talked somewhat over the years, but but not really in depth. Um, And so he takes me to lunch and he sits me down and he said, while I was in town, I had to seek you out. He said, because now that I'm a grown man and I have kids of my own and I'm engaged in ministry, he said, I realize the sacrifice that you and your wife made by by having me live with you. And he said, I never gave you an appropriate apology because I look back at it now and I could have negatively affected your marriage. I could have negatively affected your ministry. I put you through turmoil that you had no business going through. And I genuinely want to tell you I'm sorry. And thank you for investing in me. It's one of those moments, right, where like bugs were flying in my eyes. You know what I'm talking about. It's like 15 years later or 14 years later, it's like, finally, finally, God, this, this made sense. God, couldn't you have given me this like 15 years ago, God? Even when, when I don't see the outcome, I want to encourage you in that because you might be in the midst of a situation right now that just really doesn't seem to make a lot of sense. And I want to challenge you to bloom where you've been planted even when you can't see the outcome. Even when you don't know what God is up to, to remain faithful in the same way that Joseph did. Even when you can't see the end result. And so now in Joseph's story, we fast forward. And there's seven years of lots of food, and they store it up. And then the seven years of famine come, and people in the surrounding areas don't have food. And wouldn't you know it, who comes to Joseph and asks for food? His brothers. So now we fast forward, and this dream is coming to fruition where his brothers are bowing down to him because they don't realize who he is. Now, if this is a movie, this is the point where Joseph gets revenge. Anybody feel me on this? That you're like, yes, now, Joseph, they've all come to you. You get to kill them all. You get to to punish them all. Let them come and bow down and ask you for food and tell them, sorry, I don't have any for you, right? 
Like, this is the way our culture works. And don't pretend that you're better than me, by the way, right? Like, we get really caught up. And if somebody hurts me, I want to give them what I believe they deserve. If anybody has had years to map out their revenge, it's Joseph. This is it, Joseph. Give it to him. And yet his response is what I believe to be one of the most challenging passages of Scripture in all of the Bible. His response It's what I believe to be the response of a man that has been marked by God and has insight and wisdom that I desire. His response, I believe, is life-changing, even for those of you that are sitting in this room. His response is one that exemplifies the sharing choice. See, Joseph could have just given it to them. And in their initial meeting, he's actually really kind, if you remember. And he takes care of them. But then his dad dies. And so now his brothers are convinced that since the dad has passed away, that Joseph is now going to do what he'd always wanted to do, and he's going to get revenge. I want to read this passage to you from Genesis chapter 50, verse 19 through 20, and I just want to challenge you to soak it in this morning. Joseph's brothers come to him, and in verse 19, he says, Don't be afraid and listen to his question. Am I in the place of God? Man, do you ever find yourself wrestling with that? Don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? And then look at what he says next to him. He says, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. To accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. You you tried to hurt me. You tried to destroy me. You tried to ruin me. But you are not in the place of God. Now God is using what you thought was going to hurt me to accomplish good, which is the saving of many souls. Did you know that that's what God wants to do with our hurt? Did you know that that's what God desires to do with our pain? Do you know that that's what God desires to do to the things that have been done with you in life? Not that we hold on to them and store up bitterness and anger, but that we come to a point where we look at God and say, I am not in your place, but I believe that you can use what's been intended for my harm for my good. That you can use my story. Maybe you're in here and you've struggled with addiction. And God has brought you to another side and you're wondering to yourself, how could any good ever come from that? Because you share your hurt to help others. Maybe you're in this room and you've been harmed by somebody and you've held on to unforgiveness. And it is literally bleeding the life out of you. You let that go and you ask yourself, am I in the place of God? And you allow healing to take place in your life and you begin to help others that have been hurt as well. Joseph says, I believe that God can turn this hurt into victory. I believe that he can take this pain and he can redeem it and it can be used for the saving of many lives. I still believe that to be true today.
I want to challenge you this morning, church, to make the sharing choice. To share the hurt that you've gone through with others so that they can experience healing and the peace that God has to offer. I want to challenge you this morning to bloom where you've been planted, no matter the circumstance, even when it's difficult and when you can't see the outcome. Two questions that I want us to wrestle with as we go into a time of response this morning. First one is this. How is God asking you to bloom where you've been planted? How's he asking you to bloom where you've been planted? Have you spent so much time complaining and mumbling and groaning about how things are not the way that you want them to be that possibly you've missed out on the opportunity to bloom right where you're at and to make a difference for God? To bloom in your home, in your workplace, at your church, No matter how menial or small the task is, how is God asking you to bloom where you've been planted? And then the second question, how can you share the hurt of your past to help somebody now? How can you share the hurt of your past to help somebody now?